CRMs are designed by folks that are trying to cater to lots of stakeholders, but the salesperson is generally just focused on one thing, hitting the commission number. They only want the data that's relevant to them and nothing more. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Andrew Smith, and today I'm super excited to talk to David Mead on where is your data coming from? David is the Director of Sales Intelligence at Deluxe Corporation and has been in the B2B go-to-market space for nearly 20 years. Prior to Deluxe, David built intelligence and sales operations teams for both U.S. Bank and Wells Fargo, all focused on how to get to market faster and more intelligently in a competitive B2B market. David also consults in his off time, helping both established businesses and startups refine their sales data practices. Outside of work, David is married and the father of four daughters, which I guess means he spends a lot of his free time either playing the part of Prince Charming or a troll or sometimes both at the same time. David, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. I'm glad to be here. Great. Dave, a little bit of your background, but can you tell us a bit more about your background and, and also your current role at Deluxe? Sure. Yeah, I've spent most of my career living within the sales organizations, taking part in most every aspect of sales and revenue operations you can think of. Uh, I've led teams with various levels of complexity for both national and international sales efforts. Generally, however, I find myself trying to bridge the gap between a profession that prides itself on being an art. Most successful salespeople will tell you it's the person that makes the difference in sales. (laughs) And the reality that there are mountains of data available to help direct and guide the sales process. This means I spend a fair amount of my time trying to puzzle out the best way to apply all the various data sources with the goal of shortening the sales cycle. While there's a lot of software code, as you know, Andrew, being written to try and figure some of that out, I've found that over the years, the blending of the science of the data and the art of selling usually takes a human in the middle of it all. The artistic side of selling usually resists a one-size-fits-all data approach, and the huge volume of data available these days risks overwhelming most sales processes. With that in mind, I lead the sales intelligence team at Deluxe, which is a team designed to help our sellers get to market and in front of actionable buyers as rapidly as possible. My team and I spend a lot of time taking different inputs of data, competitive intelligence, internal sales data, external prospect data, customer survey data, and combining it and distilling it down into a narrative that should highlight what is the best next action for sales teams. We aim to take the cold calling list out of the go-to-market motions and instead hand the sales team a small list of buyers in motion that would be ready for a conversation based on the data. The end goal being that salespeople spend more time selling and less time looking for someone to which to sell. That's great. Thanks for, for that. And, and you touched on sales intelligence there and, and would love to get your perspective on kind of what you've seen from, uh, as the evolution of sales intelligence and the future it holds for those in the B2B space. Yeah, sales intelligence, Andrew, is a, as a distinct field is still a relatively new idea. Companies are starting to have to carve out distinct teams to handle sales intelligence within their organizations. Looking at the selling landscape, I think it will be the organizations that start to build this discipline of sales intelligence into their sales motions that will clearly outperform their peers over the next few years. I've been in the go-to-market strategy intelligence space for quite some time, which means I've spent a lot of time around the tools, 
processes that organizations have set up to address these needs. Many times the strategies are built around the instincts of a sales leader rather than the data. But both those sides, the instincts and the data have value. Organizations that figure out how to blend those appropriately will outstrip their peers. Awesome. You, you mentioned earlier how much data there is now with all of the different SaaS tools. And it's come to a point where it's, it's really easy to pull data from your CRM, almost too easy, making it difficult to kind of separate the noise from the indicators. And how do you address this challenge and, and help your sales teams? Yeah, this is a real challenge within modern sales processes and one that sales intelligence as a discipline is trying to address. Organizations spend a lot of money a lot of money, installing large and expensive CRMs and then begin adding APIs and integrations, sometimes at a breakneck speed. But if you go to a salesperson and ask them where they're tracking their sales, where they personally are tracking them, if they're being honest, almost all of them will say Excel or maybe a paper file. Why? Because they can control the inputs to what matters to them in those formats, right? CRMs are designed by folks that are trying to cater to lots of stakeholders, but the salesperson is generally just focused on one thing, hitting the commission number. They only want the data that's relevant to them and nothing more. Here, use this to help sell more stuff. Whether that's leads being passed along at a breakneck speed from marketing or intent data or prospect lists or handoffs from SDRs, the salesperson is generally looked at as the one who has to triage all that data and figure out how to make it into a sale. So I, I once worked with an organization that was paying to have intent data piped directly into the CRM and to the sales team members. But when pressed, the sales teams admitted they didn't look at the data. They didn't know how to use it or really even have interest in applying it. Each of those licenses was costing the organization money and the sales team had no idea how to leverage it. So the savings of eliminating those licenses was enough to just pay for an FTE whose role would be to read the data, interpret it, and then get it to the sales team in a timely manner, which meant more sales and happier salespeople. The point here is that we don't want the sales team spending their time triaging data. We have to protect the salesperson's time. Every hour they spend not selling correlates to less revenue for the organization. Instead of giving sales teams access to too much data that's piped directly into the CRM, a sales team can run interference and help wrangle that noise. A small team that knows sales, knows what's significant in data, knows what indicates a buyer in motion, can hand a sales team a small list of actual prospects and then just let the sales team do their magic. Right. It, it's, it's not the idea of the more data is going to be helpful, but the right data is. I guess, how do you define and, and identify what's the most relevant and important data for your sales teams? Yeah, that's an excellent question and one with an unsatisfactory answer, which is it depends. Right. This is where the art of the sale starts to come in a little bit because every sales motion is different and no B2B buyer is exactly the same. That's the hard part about building processes with an expectation that buyers will behave in a set pattern, right? They just, they don't comply. Lots of studies have shown that B2B buyers are engaging at many different points in the buyer's journey. No two look the same. So generally, I would say if you're trying to define what is important, an organization needs to spend their time thinking about why someone purchases their product. What problem are they looking to solve? Then back up one step from there and figure out what's precipitating the problem. Whatever the event is that pushes an organization into a buying motion. Once you know what that is, then you can head to the data market to figure out what data might help you uncover signs of that event. 
Sometimes it's a one-to-one correlation. New regulations or laws come out and force a buying motion. Sometimes a competitor goes out of business or a new CFO is hired and is likely to want to review existing vendors. Those types of events are the easy ones. The more complex buying motions will generally need a combination of data that may not be a direct match, but might be a proxy for likelihood to purchase. One team, as an example that I worked on, we were tasked with understanding when a bank might be moving into a buying motion for a certain product. And to answer that question, we had to pull in open market data from the FDIC, dig through FFEIC data, which is really boring, but has lots of data points. And among those thousands, we had to figure out what was most likely to correlate to a need for the product. We took that list, refined it by the ICP, went on to look at competitive data, and then find out which organizations might actually be open to a call. Lastly, we grabbed the contact level data attached it to the list, handed it to the sales team, and gave them a very small list to go after that they could then call, find out results, and we could change the models necessary after we saw the results. You know, this level of analysis generally requires a pretty thorough understanding of the B2B sales motion, which is why it's really great if you can embed your sales intelligence team or anyone doing that type of work in your sales organization or hire some folks that have the sales experience in, that, in some capacity. The point of it all is that we didn't encumber the sales team with the data other than that short little list of prospects they needed to call all tied up with a boat. Gotcha. And and so you you talked about whittling that that list down for your sales team. How how do you define the overall target list to begin with? Mm -hmm. Great question. It's similar to the last question. Your target list depends, Andrew. Many times organizations will start by trying to identify the whole world of potential prospects. Which is fine, but that's not a good place to stop, which sometimes does happen, especially at the top of the house when strategies are being set. A target list for sales, uh, I would argue, needs to be very specific and should be throttled to match the salesperson's capacity to actually work that number of leads. See above about not bogging down a salesperson's time with excess data. The point here is that we don't want the sales team spending their time triaging data. We have to protect the salesperson's time. Every hour they spend not selling correlates to less revenue for the organization. That's different from marketing. They're meant to scale to a much broader audience and generally are engaging a much bigger audience, either in intent to create brand awareness or to pick up some sign of intent to buy. But in most cases, target lists are too large rather than not being large enough. Yeah, so, so a lot of folks focus on total addressable market, TAM, ideal customer profile, ICP. And, and it sounds like what you're saying is who can you actually sell to? So identifying the current addressable market as opposed to necessarily the total addressable market. Yeah, that's right. And that's, those are exactly what I would say. That it dovetails right with the question above. Being able to focus your sales team's efforts is the key to efficiency. It can be really tempting to size up a market and say, every organization needs X service to run their business. Therefore, every organization is a potential client. But the truth is generally that your market is much smaller, which is where the concepts of TAM and SAM come into play. But I would push that even further and ask the question, what is the current addressable market? Or put another way, How many organizations are in a buying motion at any given point for this product? If you've been in B2B sales for any amount of time, you know that trying to convince an organization to begin a buying motion when it's not thinking about your product is a slow and frustrating way to sell. But it's probably the primary mode of selling for most new acquisition efforts. The data market, Andrew, 
It's large enough these days to look at the buying motions or your own sales data, and you can get an idea of how many companies are likely to be in a buying cycle. From there, the trick is to find those companies that are in that buying motion, which is where a sales intelligence organization comes in handy. Great. I've heard you talk about sometimes the the trouble that companies get into in trying to size their market and estimate what the revenue in a particular market might be, but but that there's more to it than just looking at the total market and then taking percentage. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's an extrapolation of what we we're just talking about, where you're really driving down to figure out how many buyers in motion are actually available to you, you know, in your sales cycle, whether that's a quarter or a month or a week, whatever it is. It's generally a lot less than you think it is. And so you can go out and find studies that will tell you that only 7% of vendors are replaced in any given year for any, any given product. And so if you start, start narrowing down to how many clients are actually in the market for my product, and finding those brings your current addressable market down to a very realistic number and will help your sales team trust your data more because when they have those conversations, it will be with someone who's actually interested in having the conversation as opposed to trying to convince someone this is a good conversation to have and start that sales process all over. Great. Yeah, that's a really good, good point and a good way to look at it and, and kind of a reality check for, for organizations, right? Kind of moving to a more broad question, you know, there's an economic downturn kind of forecast talked about. How are you and, and Deluxe adapting to the economic downturn and how are you, you know, approaching it? Yeah, everyone is looking to do a little bit more, a little bit less in light of current economic uh, factors. And so sales intelligence is one of those things where you can try to make a big impact for a relatively low cost. You don't have to go hire more sales teams. You don't have to sell more stuff. You just have to be more efficient with your data and get your sales teams out in the market to the right places. So that's one play. Other than that, uh, we're always trying something new, looking for ways to adjust to the constantly changing landscape. Organizations, as we've seen over the last few years, are constantly under pressure from one factor or another. And so I spend a lot of time trying to identify those trends and making sure that our value propositions and offerings are aligned to those needs. After all, the goal of a sales team is to solve a problem for their customers. Yep. Well said. And, and again, more with less is, is really a theme I'm, I'm hearing a lot in the market as well. Kind of moving off of, of serious subjects or, or maybe uh, more broad subjects, uh, uh, looking at things that you've used recently to kind of keep yourself up to date. Is there a book, a blog, a newsletter? Something that you recommend to our listeners uh, to, to kind of stay abreast of things in, in, in the sales intelligence and, and overall sales market? On the sales intelligence side, there isn't a lot of content being specifically dedicated to the space as of yet. You'll find pieces of it here and there on different locations. I post articles on my LinkedIn page from time to time, as well as the blog page of my consultancy regarding facets of sales intelligence. Folks could look there for more reading if they're interested. For general reads uh, in the business space, I recommend anything by Clayton Christensen, but in particular, the book, How Will You Measure Your Life? Uh, I think it's a great intro to his thinking, and I find it applicable to almost every aspect of business and even some personal life. Awesome. Thanks. And, and then what about inspirational people that you might follow, either, whether it be on LinkedIn or, or reads or, or any place else? Yeah, I would say see above about the Clayton Christensen piece. And if you manage to get him on your show, I'd love to meet him. 
So he would be a great fit. Uh, another person that is a kindred soul in the B2B space uh, is Jamie Carney out of People AI. He runs the revenue operations for them. He does a lot of great work on the selling motions in the B2B space as well. Excellent. Thanks very much. And, and for our listeners who might be interested in, in connecting with you more and, and learning more, how, how, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great starting spot. I've got uh, my information out there, like I said, in terms of the content. And then if you want to reach out and connect, happy to talk more about whatever it is you're interested in or trying to figure out. Awesome. David, thank you so much. Uh, this has been very helpful. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. And thanks for being on our show. Thanks, Andrew. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 